Hey, Ryan. Yes, Andrew. We've been doing this podcast for a year now. Yes, we have. What the hell is wrong with us? I don't know, but I think I'm being forced to go to a mental ward, and they're kind of using this podcast as evidence. Oh, so should I expect my door to get kicked down in a second? Probably. Welcome back to the explosion of hat. <laughs> the explosion of hats. On this weekly podcast, we talk about hats and hat accessories. The future of gaming. Welcome back to the Explosion of Happiness podcast, episode number 50. It is September 17th, 2016, and it's time to talk about video games and be happy. I am your host, Ryan. And I am your other host, Andrew. And in the weekly podcast, we talk about video games, as well as Dean Dong, Mitz, and Zed. But seriously, we've been doing this shit for a year, a little bit longer than if you count the, uh, the super fun alpha practice recordings. Yeah. So I, I, I've learned a valuable lesson in that uh, nobody notices me online as well as in real life. Yeah, it actually confirmed some beliefs I had, which is no one cares about me. I could die and no one would care. I could completely vanish and no one would care. My life is pointless. Life in general is pointless. In a way, it's almost incredibly freeing knowing that I don't have to feel guilty when the time comes, you know? I can just yeah. let it happen. Yeah. You don't have to leave anything behind to worry about. I mean, except our loved ones, but I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. What a hell of a way to start this. This is depressing and sad and pathetic. I thought we were going to be happy for our 50th. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, man, we've been doing this shit for a fucking year. Yeah, no, it's bro God, we've come such a long way. I'd like to thank all of my fans that brought us to this point. Just uh, bump. I'd like to thank our fan who got us to this point for the last <laughs> 10 episodes and kept us from, like, ending it. For giving us one single whole reason to keep going. Stuff you, Nate. Thank, thank you. I couldn't consciously end this abruptly now because we would be disappointing our one fan. The so. only person that I matter to. And you know what? That's all that matters. As long as I have one person listening to this podcast, I can feel like there is another purpose beyond just being purely egotistical. I mean, we did start this as a reason to not kill ourselves, but it's an added bonus that people also get joy out of this. Well, at least one person. And considering that, you know, you and me are like negative half a person each, that, that cancels out. So there's like balance to the universe, you know, with the whole yin yang thing. So us together, we make one negative person. Yes. We are like minus one person. That sounds kind of awesome. That would make us like some fucking like Marvel supervillain or something. Anti-person. We're, we're like Goku and Vegeta, except when we fusion. We become just even more sad and depressing. <laughs> we become a completely non-functioning adult. We can, we can no longer leave our bed in the morning. If somehow you were to kill this negative person, it would just create a vortex and suck the whole planet Earth into it. Because <laughs> it would break the time-space continuum. Well, I guess, uh, so, yeah, we're having a little obligatory celebration here. <laughs> yep. This, uh, this is pretty fitting for everything that we've accomplished so far, so... I think yeah. we're right on track. I guess I'll say I'm glad that this is like the one production I've ever done that has ever made it to any significant milestone. Every other film, web series, anything I used to do when I was a teenager, it would always end somewhere around like the 12% mark. I did put out a couple fully complete films, but none of them, they were all meant to like build to something bigger that never did. So if by some miracle we are still doing this till we get to episode 100, that will be like... Cool. I mean, I can die happy knowing I did something. 
And even though no one will ever listen to it, at least it'll be archived on the internet until the internet implodes with the rest of the planet. Or until aliens come and find, you know, the dead husk of a planet. And for some reason, the internet's still running and they listen to our podcast and go, oh, this is probably why they killed themselves. It like starts a religion in their society about us as they learn about like our culture through us. And then we become the symbols of this alien society. And then it ends up causing like a huge revolution on their alien homeworld that like overturns everything. And we're like the poster childs for the whole thing. There's, there's this giant statues of us completely nude because that's how we record these podcasts. Just standing in the center of every city. We're coming up with some pretty great ideas for Independence Day 3 right now. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. If we were big and we did like a panel at some convention, if we just had to sit at the desk in our underwear... Because otherwise it would just feel unnatural. That's true. Well, I just bring like swim shorts or something. And like we're off to the side of the panel. And we're just like slowly taking off everything, but like boxers. And then we sit down and just cross our legs. And, like, all right, first question. I've said before, we could never make a live appearance because I edit this podcast so much to remove all the stupid shit I say. Hmm? Um, well, beyond that. I just know the moment. Like in episode 32 when you said you wanted to see Donald Trump naked. I don't believe I ever said that, but... I guess I said something to get that point across. That's a joke. Yes, you totally said that. Yes, I know. It was a joke. Well, maybe I want to see everyone naked. Have you thought about that? Because then we would all be equal. Everybody's naked. Nobody's naked. Yes, exactly. There's no more nakedness because if everyone's naked, then such a concept doesn't exist. Well, it does, but it doesn't have to. This, this is really pioneering for the future. Right. We're laying down some good ideas today. We are. Make America naked again. <laughs> I mean, we were born naked. Why can't we live naked? We'll die naked. Well, we will. I don't think most people will. <laughs> we'll just like laugh about something so hard in such a self-depreciating manner that we'll just have a heart attack and both die. Or I'll, I'll die and then you'll just go and grab a gun and kill yourself. Yeah. I can't go on without you. You complete me. That is the sad truth, isn't it? It's like Breaking Bad, the end of Breaking Bad. We'll probably try to end up destroying each other's lives and killing each other at some point, but in the end, we'll have to still work together to stay alive. Wait, so does that mean when you die, I move up to Alaska? Yes, but then you find out I never actually died. Oh, and then we get season six. Yes, except we don't. Fuck. Okay, it's been years now. Would you like a season six of that Breaking Bad? Oh, fuck yes, I would. Is it... Like, I know like it ended appropriately, but I just always felt like it could have ended better than it did. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. I, my reasons for not liking it were completely personal. I think objectively the show ended fine, but I did not want to see Jesse and Walt just like tear at each other and have it go out in such a manner. I knew Walt's life was going to completely fall apart, but I didn't think him and Jesse would be like at each other's throats. I thought they would stay together to the end. Both of their lives would be completely fucking destroyed, but then they just like walk off into the sunset. So I like the idea of Walt still being alive and Jesse showing up in prison in season six. They have to break out and just ends on another note. Like they start a new life. Yeah, that was my one thing I didn't really like about the end of the show is I felt Jesse was too beaten down at the end. Uh, what was her name? Denise or whatever, his girlfriend at the time. Uh, uh, yeah, don't remember her name, but yeah. Brock's mom. Yeah. I, I always hated that they killed her because yeah. to me it felt... <laughs> They, they kill so many characters in the show, but to me, that was like the one character that shouldn't have died because at that point, Jesse was already, his character was down. It was beaten and it was defeated. And it's like, you just made it, there's no point in making that shitty situation worse. And out of all the characters, I wanted Jesse to kind of have a happy, you know, come clean, start over again sort of life. 
Yeah, it was and, kind of just pure emotional degradation at that point. Right. It, it, it no longer felt like they were writing to make something good when they, they killed her. It felt more like they were just saying, like, how far can we push this fucking envelope? Yeah, I, I guess a lot of shows I can think of now end like that. They always end just in some completely, like, The Shield is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I think to its end, it was great and it had one of the best series finales I've ever seen. But the final season of that show, season seven, Everything was so fucked up by the end of it. It was like just watching fucking torture porn, de-evolving into pure, unfiltered agony. And the final season of The Sons of Anarchy was like that, too. It's like, these shows don't even become entertaining anymore. I'm just, like, fucking flipping on a TV show and just giving myself, like, three heart attacks. I feel like it's important to kill off characters because I think if you want to make a serious drama, you need to kill a character and then never bring them back. Yeah. Because it kind of, it, it, it shows that there's stakes in your show. If it's and if you want to make a drama, you want there to be stakes, and there's no higher stakes than death. But I agree, like that's like a big reason why I can't get into Game of Thrones. I'm like he just kills off too many people, and I don't want that. You got to have a nice line, I think, not too much, but you still have to do it a little bit. No, they do it so much, it just becomes formulaic. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Well, to me, it's if they do it so much, it's like I cannot allow myself to like any character because the instant I like that character, they die, and I feel like shit. So to avoid that feeling, I just stop liking everybody. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, was, that's one way of putting it, as I say, or you just have to prepare yourself to be ready for anyone to die at any second and not get too attached. Another show that was like that was like 24. They kind of had like a main cast for the first five seasons, and at the start of season five, they killed off everyone. And ironically, that was like the best season of the show. But then every season after that, they just kept reintroducing characters and killing them, and you knew they were going to do that. And it just became like this game of like, when is this character going to die? That so. that is my biggest pet peeve in writing is uh, characters that are introduced just to die. You can do that with like backstory characters, but when it's the now and then, well, it's only it's acceptable when their death is meant to develop another character still living. Like there was a character that was killed off halfway to Battlestar Galactica that kind of impacted another character in a way that. I remember one of my friends was bitching about how they killed him for no reason. There was no reason to do it. I'm like, well, no, there was a reason because this other person was very connected to that person. And now yeah, but like did a- they introduce that character like two episodes before? No, that's what I'm bitching about. Oh, like when they, okay. When you okay. introduce a character and then immediately like kind of kill him off and try to show it at like, make it seem significant when it's really like, it's not significant at all. Yeah. Unless they're like a president or something, but. Or like a movie gets you overly attached to a dog or something just to have that dog die so that you can hate Shut the up. Guy. No. <laughs> My girlfriend was watching an episode of Criminal Minds, and it started to imply that they were about to kill just this cute little chihuahua. Okay. And I'm like, okay, we, we need to stop watching this episode. <laughs> She's like, what? they don't show anything. I'm like, I don't care. I can't watch before. I, like, I go grab the remote, and I'm like, we're, ch- we're going to the next episode. I have more emotional attachment to a fucking dog than I do the poor old man that gets like clubbed in the back of the head. Yeah, it's because dogs don't know what the fuck is going on. And that's that is feel bad true. For them. Dogs are truly innocent most like, of the time. You always feel bad for characters that are killed and have absolutely no part in what's going on. They don't know what's going on. And honestly, I've always figured uh, that's that's how I'm going to go. Yeah. You're going to be dragged into a bunch of shit with all your friends and you're just kind of there along for the ride. You don't really want to be there. You're like, uh, can I go home? And then oh, you get shot. Or I'm going to be at or I'm, I'm going to be at work just doing what I'm told. And then something's going to fall on my head because someone wasn't paying attention. You want to talk about Chris Betson? Oh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Blizzard has had really shitty writing these last few years, and part of that, that is to thank uh, Chris Metzen, Senior Vice President and Lead Writer for Blizzard. He's retired. I I am so fucking happy and excited because I feel like everything since uh, Cataclysm and everything after that has 
basically they just kept doing the same fucking story over and over again. Like, oh no, this hero is being corrupted. Oh no, this person is a mix of bad and good and they're the only hope of humanity. Oh no, these forces that hate each other have to come together to defeat Satan. And it's just like, man, you guys are just rewriting the same fucking story and doing it terribly over and over again. And when that happens, it's kind of your lead writer's fault. So I'm super excited that he's uh, moving on. He wrote Wings of Liberty and Heart of the Swarm, and I didn't like either, but I hated Heart of the Swarm so much that I just, there's no way I couldn't hate his work after that. Yeah. But characters characters like Kerrigan are, um, that's all Chris Metzen can write. I've gathered that. I've found it kind of odd that there were comments sort of praising his work. I have never played any Blizzard game other than StarCraft, so was he more acceptably bad in World of Warcraft. He did more than just write the games, didn't he? He was more he than was a writer. Like He was originally a concept artist. Like, if you go back okay. to the original manuals and all that crazy cool concept art, some of them in the bottom right corner will say, like, Chris Metzen. Okay. Because all I thought he was was a writer, but I never really looked into and, it. And then, he, and then he had, like, some cool scenarios for, like, earlier things. And, like, I think early on, when he was, like, the underling and he was putting forth ideas, or if it was more of a team effort, that's when it was good. But as he became, like, the lead writer and the man in charge, and that's when everything kind of fell to shit. And, like, in World of Warcraft, um, like, they'll have individual storylines that are pretty good. And those individual storylines are usually not written by the lead art writer. The lead writer usually writes, like, the campaign storyline. And those have universally sucked since Wrath of the Lich King. Cataclysm was terrible. Uh, Miss Pandaria was terrible. Fucking Warlords of Draenor was really terrible, so... Did he state a reason why he was leaving? No. Um, as far as I can figure, though, if you're like a 40-something and you're retiring, that means, A, you're really rich, which I kind of hope that's what it is because, I mean, it's good for him and it's good for us because he's gone, but he doesn't have to worry about work. B, he's being forced out, which is kind of shitty, but if you keep writing crap, you kind of deserve to lose your job or he has a personal illness. If it's that one, I'd feel really bad. Well, hopefully whoever takes the reins will do a better job than him. Not I really that, do hope so. I don't think Blizzard's really going to be doing a lot of story content in the future at the route they're going. It seems like they're going to be going the same route as, well, my next story will kind of tie into this, but I mean, just it seems to be like every major developer, every major publisher is just trying to make multiplayer games with microtransactions now because that's the only way they can make a profit. Yeah, and there's some of Metzen's art from uh, the Warcraft 2 manual. So. Okay, yeah, that looks nice. Yeah. So how come the art got so shitty after he took over Blizzard? Probably because they started with the release of World of War. No, it was Warcraft 3. That was the first that kind of had that like that 3D look that they kind of stuck with ever since. Yeah, and I, I think that's why is they just transitioned to 3D in that way. And they decided like this works. We're sticking with it. And it's like uh, family friendly. You know, you know, war is family friendly and all. That's something that really annoys me about Blizzard and like Overwatch and all that. It's like. They gotta, they gotta make it family friendly because they want to sell the game to fucking eight year olds. But it's like, uh, fuck that. I just hate that. Well, I was eight years old when I played StarCraft, and wait, no, I think I was older than that. But, uh, but yeah, I, mean, I was still a kid, and I was still off put by gore and creepy things, and I, I still ate it up. I let it consume me. StarCraft is the reason I turned out as bitter as I am. Video games. Yeah, StarCraft one was fucking depressing, and then StarCraft two was so light and hopeful and. Uh, anyway, so you you have a follow-up story that's kind of tied to this. Kind of, in regards to what I was saying about everyone's just going multiplayer now. Remedy Entertainment, the team that put out Quantum Break, the first two Max Paynes and Alan Wake, have announced that they are going to be making multiplayer games from now on. Yeah, I 
I think you already said it, but uh, cash shop items is way too lucrative in this day and age. It's almost like it would be suicide to release a game that's full and complete and big enough to warrant a higher price cost than $60. Everybody would shit on them for that. And companies want to make more money. So instead of just increasing the price, they either have pre-planned DLC or they do this with the online cash shops because that shit prints money. And it's probably way easier just to develop our assets than it is to develop our assets, a storyline, program encounters, and everything like that to make an actual increase to the campaign. So I'm just sad that if Alan Wake 2 ever happens now, it'll be a four-player co-op survival game. With hats. Yeah. Uh, and skins and, and game dance animations. It's sad because I think Max Payne wanted to and Alan Wake. I have not played Quantum Break yet. I will someday, uh, but I liked Remedy a lot. I thought they were a good developer, and they made good games. They made good single-player games, to be specific. I don't think they've ever done any sort of multiplayer in any of their games before on top of that, so it's kind of odd that they're just flat out like, yep, no, we're doing multiplayer now. It doesn't roll out the possibility they'll still do single-player stuff in the future, but I just think this is kind of a daunting sign that this particular developer is saying that they're going to start doing multiplayer like everybody else, too. Well, I think a big part of that, too, is like, Back in the mid-2000s, WoW came out, everybody started making MMOs. Then League of Legends came out, and then everybody started doing, you know, MOBAs. And then everybody started doing card games. Now everybody's doing team-based multiplayer, and it's probably going to last four years, four to five years. And then something new will take place where all of a sudden everybody's going to want to make shitty indie horror. Wait, we already did that. Everybody's going to want to make space games with randomly procedurally generated planets. The future is dark. From their quote, we want to challenge ourselves to find ways to also expand these elements to include cooperative multiplayer. So it looks like they're going to still do single player stuff, I guess. But they're just going to have like co-op and shit in their games from now on. I'm reminded there was a Myst Online game for a little while that you actually had to work together to solve Myst puzzles. Uh I don't think that's a genre that's really well done. So for Alan Wake's case, that could be pretty good. Maybe. Possibly. The thing I've noticed, though, is that when you design a game around co-op, the single player always suffers. The only game I can think of that that was not the case was like Halo and Gears of War, but none of them really had a lot of systems. But when you think of games like Resident Evil 5, playing that game single player was shit compared to Resident Evil 4 because of how they designed it to be a co-op game. The last Call of Duty game, even Black Ops 3, was designed around co-op and it had the worst campaign I think I've played out of all of those games. Remedy is just a really great single player game developer. That's why this is kind of concerning to me. It doesn't mean that they're going to stop putting out good games, but it's worrying to me. It fills me with doubt. The whole theme of this story is how you're saying how, like, well, what I said about how Blizzard was probably just going to go all multiplayer. It seems like that's just what all these bigger developers are doing now is just trying to get that cash shot money because that's where it's at. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that if they specifically make a sequel to Diablo or StarCraft just so they can monetize it better. Because there isn't a lot of monetization in those games yet. Single player is dying, Andrew. Single player will always be there. It's just, I know. Uh, big AAA games are, might, are probably going to be moving more and more away from that. It's going to be harder and harder to find. And they're going to have more hats. Or they're going to have day one DLC with consumable items that you can I, buy in a cash shop. I hear in Star Wars Battlefront 2, you'll be able to buy different helmets for Darth Vader, including a fedora. You had to pick the one example that I think is actually good. And then Darth could, Vader can wear whatever the fuck he wants. He could, Darth Vader. Uh, exactly. He could tip his fedora as he's stabbing people with his lightsaber. <laughs> it has to have flames on the side. I'm not going to spend five bucks on a fedora unless it has flames on the side. Your favorite game of all time is celebrating its one-year anniversary. If it starts with the letter U and ends with the letter Undertale, I'm going to drive to your house and punch <laughs> you.
Okay, we better warm up your engine. I thought this was interesting because Toby Fox actually commented on this and what he said about his own game, I thought, well, it raised my opinion of him. It'll probably raise your opinion of him as well. Really quick, I actually have a good opinion of Toby Fox. Okay, this co-aligns with it because I'll I'll read like kind of the top of this. Though it was released almost a year ago, I had the same opinion of it. It's about an 8 out of 10 game, niche RPG game. If you like the characters and the humor, you'll probably like it and forgive it for its flaws. If you don't, you'll probably hate it. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. Uh, And I guess he just kind of goes on to talk about how he did not expect it to blow up the way it did. Yeah, I think think the humor and everything about it was like an Earthbound-like game hadn't been done since, well, Earthbound. And furries are all the rage right now and had that Homestuck humor, so it was just kind of like the perfect mesh for that kind of rather large niche audience to really sink their teeth into it. Mm-hmm. Plus the music, like I've said it before, the music is fucking amazing. Toby Fox, despite making Undertale, which is probably one of the most popular indie games, he's not really a game dev. He's a, uh, a musician. So, and that's what stands out the most in Undertale. I think it, it just has really good fucking music. And I'll be honest, I kind of hope he gets a job somewhere doing music for video games because that's right up his alley and he's perfectly talented for it. He kind of strikes me the same way as uh, Scott Cawthon, the guy who made Five Nights at Freddy's. And then, like, you know, I can't really hate him. He made something that everybody loved. And just because I think the people who love his game are pieces of shit <laughs> doesn't mean I have to hate him or his game. Right. So. Yeah, I actually do like Scott, too. I just kind of hate all the teenagers around his game. So there was a new Resident Evil 7 trailer. I don't know if you've seen it. Resident Evil. No, I have not seen this one. Yeah, there was a little more gameplay in it. It showed, from your perspective, your character is holding a gun, so there's going to be some FPS stuff in it. They kind of shed some more details on the story. The last third of the trailer, it shows you waking up at this table in a very Rob Zombie sort of directorial tone where you're sitting at this table with these five really fucked up goony cannibal people, and they're like eating body organs or something right in front of you. And then one of the ladies tries to force feed you organs and then freaks out when you don't want to eat. It was really bizarre. That is pretty cool, though. I thought it was well presented, but it does kind of raise the worry that this game might not be very gameplay driven. And it might, you know, be very inconsistent with that. I'm still cautiously optimistic for the game. I still think just going in a completely brand new bold direction with Resident Evil is what they need to be doing. Um, I, I'm not put off by the fact that it's in first person and that you'll be holding a gun and, oh, it's, oh my God, it's a first person shooter now. I, I think it has the potential to be a very good game in its own right. And that's what I'm going to keep hoping for. Right. This is, I think we've said this like this 10 times that now. just really just needs to come out before any sort of judgment can be passed on it. And I think the most apt thing you can say really is you're either interested or you're not. Yeah. And frankly, I'm interested. So I'm interested because it's just such an out of the blue sort of thing for Capcom and this franchise. I really feel like changing things up and trying something new it really behooves them because other certain game companies that are kind of in a certain predicament similar to Capcom that aren't doing that, they're suffering a lot. Uh, I like that they're, at least it seems like they're attempting to make Resident Evil scary again, which is the exact opposite of what publishers do with their horror IPs. And yes, you know, it is because of YouTube and PT and just the YouTube trend, but... uh those games never really actually, they're not as big as most people make them out to be. Like, they're big on YouTube, but I don't think those kind of horror games really sell as well as most would think. Horror is still a very niche thing, and I think it's a very risky thing for Capcom to be doing what they're doing with Resident Evil. So, you know, I just hope the game is fun to play. That's my biggest fear, 
is that it's just going to play like Outlast. PT played like Outlast. The difference was yeah. PT was good and Outlast wasn't. Well, for a Resident Evil game, I expect there to be more player interaction. That's true. That's that's yeah, the bottom line. Like it's gonna. De- I know it's a first person key hunter, whatever. That's how it's being presented. But I'm gonna have to hope that Resident Evil has more to it than that, even if it looks like that at first. I want it to be scary, of course, but most of all, the classic Resident Evils were just a lot of fun to play. Play through multiple times and find all the secrets, and I am going to hold that standard to this Resident Evil, despite it going in its new direction. Even if it doesn't, I'll still appreciate whatever it does right. There are so many Resident Evil games at this point now, it's like, it would be a drop in the bucket if it doesn't do well. Sony came out and talked about how the PlayStation 4 Pro is not trying to compete with the Xbox Scorpio. Okay. Which is odd because, you know, the PS4 Pro is weaker than the Xbox Scorpio by a very large margin. But what they did say is they're trying to compete with the PC market. What? What indeed? What? Because I didn't even think, I, th- I didn't think the uh, the PlayStation 4 Pro was that strong. I thought the, isn't the Xbox Scorpio stronger? Yes, it's like twice as strong. <sighs> but the, but then they say compete with P, what? So here's my theory. Sony has no idea what the fuck they're doing. Microsoft has no idea what the fuck they're doing. Nintendo has no idea what the fuck they're doing. No one running these companies know what the fuck they're doing or who they're trying to compete against anymore. Bulletin point number one for me is if you're going to compete with a PC, you need about 10,000 games on it, for starters. <laughs> yeah, with a complete backlog that you can play even video games on it from the 90s. Exactly. I need to be able to emulate every Nintendo game ever made like I can on my PC. Then the PS4 will be something. You can't even really do that with a Vita yet. But beyond that, I just don't understand where they're coming from. What part of the PC audience are you gunning for exactly because i don't think anyone who actively goes to the pc to play games on it is going to give a fuck about this because the ps4 pro could never possibly offer what the pc can are they talking about like convenience or something are they talking about variety i don't know what angle they're coming at this from i I have no idea what the fuck to say about this. This blows my fucking mind that they'd say that statement. I always thought that the reason why they were releasing this is because they want people to buy 4K TVs and Sony also makes television. So this is some weird like kind of cross promotion sort of thing. And they really didn't care about out competing the Xbox anymore because they already have a bigger market penetration with base PlayStation 4s. So they're not like the Microsoft where Microsoft needs to actually sell these consoles to get an Xbox unit in homes because PlayStation 4s are already in homes. So in that regard, they don't have to necessarily compete with Xbox. But at the same time, I was like, why do you say that when you're saying nothing? It can't compete with the PC at all. Like, it's not nowhere near strong enough. It doesn't have upgradable hardware. I almost feel like they're saying that as a way to be like, oh, no, ignore the specs. We're stronger. Like, they're competing towards idiots, basically. They're like, we know you don't understand what those stats mean, but we're telling you that this thing's going to be as strong as a PC. So they're basically just lying to people who don't know better. Beyond that... The PlayStation 4 is not going to support 4K UHD discs, but the Xbox One will. So, you remember how the PS3 supported Blu-ray, and that was a big decider for that in the long run? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, Xbox went with HD DVDs, and that flopped. Well, now Xbox is putting in the physical media. Do the- you remember when Xbox was the one that was trying to ditch physical media? And then, now there- it's a complete reversal. And this is why I say I don't think Sony knows what the fuck they're doing. I don't think they're aware that most people bought PS4 is just out of hatred for the Xbox One and hatred for Microsoft. That's why a lot of people went to Sony. Right, because they, they, they saw Sony as the lesser of two evils, but Sony actually thinks that their fans are eating up this crap, and now they're starting to do what Microsoft was doing 
And what I think is going to happen is by next gen, whenever that is, everyone's going to go back to the Xbox if they keep going this route. Certainly seems that way, yes. So here's their quote. Andrew House, head of Sony Interactive Entertainment. I saw some data that really influenced me. It suggested that there's a dip mid-console life cycle where the players who want the very best graphical experience will start to migrate to PC because that's obviously where it's to be had. We wanted to keep those people within our ecosystem by giving them the very best and very highest performance quality. So the net result of those thoughts was PlayStation 4 Pro and by and large, a graphical approach to game improvement. Now, I think he's missing the fact that everyone who's going to do that already did that last generation. Anyone who cared about graphical capability would have gotten a PC before a PS4 and Xbox One when the new gen came out because the new generation of consoles look and run like shit. So doing this, it's like you're targeting a very small audience who's going to jump from the PS4 to the PC. Most of those people already went. Most people with the money or know what's going on or really care strongly about gaming, they have a PC. And consoles, the way I see it, there's two kinds of people who own it. The vast majority of people are ones who just want a multimedia device to watch Netflix and watch Blu-rays and be able to play some video games on. Video games don't really encompass much in their life more than just a distraction every now and then. Right, and And they're the kind of people that really only buy, like, Call of Duty or something. Right, and then there's people like me who will buy every console just to play the one or two games because we're fucking fanatics, but we also already have PCs, so... Basically, you just want to play Bloodborne because Bloodborne best game. Right. So these people who they're afraid of leaving to the PC would have already left from the PC to buy their console to play Bloodborne. You're not going to lose them. You already lost them. You might gain some if you started putting some fucking games on the console, but these hardware improvements aren't going to win people over. At least those people that they claim to be aiming for. It's like I said, I don't think Sony is very in touch with anything. I don't think they really know what branches of their audience they have. I mean, why do you own a PS4? Bloodborne best game. Right. (laughs) Bloodborne. We both bought a PS4 just to play one really good game on it. Probably the best game, in my opinion, and one of the best franchises that I'm a fan of. That is why I bought... There's other reasons why I'm kind of glad I have a PlayStation 4. Like No Man's Sky, even though I think No Man's Sky... No Man's Sky was shit, but I think if I'm going to play No Man's Sky and I'm right from my personal experience, I want to play it laying in my bed, relaxing. You have it as a fallback for when the PC port is terrible. Well, not just that, but there's certain kinds of games that are, I think, play better on a console. Right. I mean, you could say, yes, I could hook my PC up to my TV, but then I'd have to start up my PC, you know, start up Steam, you know, make sure the connection's working. Whereas with the PlayStation 4, I can just reach to my end table grab my PlayStation 4 remote off of it, hold down a button, and then the entire time I'm laying in bed like a lazy piece of shit. I find myself every time I'm like skimming through the UI on both the PS4 and the Xbox One, I always ask myself, why did I buy these things? And I think, oh, The Last Guardian's coming out in a few months. Okay, there's that. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's multiple reasons, like upcoming reasons why I'm glad I have a PlayStation 4, but still, it's like, the thing is like, if every game was on every platform, uh, I just have a PC. The only reason to get a console is exclusives, really. Yeah. The, the lazy piece of shit convenience of being able to lay in bed, that's not worth the price of admission alone, I think. Really, the reason why I got it was for Bloodborne, because Bloodborne is a really fucking good game. I know this makes some people mad when this is stated, but I think that uh, consoles are actually more of a multiplayer platform than the PC online i think the pc has the opportunity to do better online games but when we're talking like more triple a your call of duties your fighting games your mortal combats your street fighters or whatever you're going to have a larger user base on the console and that's just the fact of it uh 
now with like, you know, crossplay, which is a thing I'm, I love and want to see more of that will change. But until that is like a very common thing, consoles are usually where you want to go for when you want to get the biggest player base and not yeah. want to have like dried up communities. But it depends on the game. To put it more bluntly, the PC is not a good platform when you want to play multi-plat games online. Right. Well, and to drive your point home, I mean, Star Wars Battlefront, if you bought it today, you'd be an idiot to get on the PC because there's 5,000 players playing it. Right. Compared to, you know, four times as much on the Xbox and six times as much on the PlayStation 4. Yeah, there are exceptions. Like, Battlefield is actually bigger on PC than console, but that's because Battlefield started as a PC game, and I expect someday that's probably going to change as just the route EA has been going with it. I guess so to sum up all my thoughts of Sony, the players that bought PS4s at a convenience are not going to be getting PCs, whether you put stronger hardware in your PS4 or not. And the people that already left to get PCs are only going to buy PS4s when you put games on it. So hardware is not a factor when it comes to competing with a PC ever. If you want people to buy consoles, easy setup, a really nice home layout, a good comfortable controller, fast response and load times on, you know, going through the menu and starting up Netflix and all that. That's that should be the selling points of a console. Convenience and simplicity. Exactly. Well, good luck to Sony. Hope it works out for you. And I hope that the PS4 exclusives coming out the next few years aren't going to run like shit on my standard PS4. Cause if that's a case, oh, then, yeah. then, then you're going to be losing to people to PC, but not because your new PS4 isn't strong enough. It's because you didn't put any fucking games on it and optimize them. All right. Next story. Last Guardian got delayed to December, so that's only like a month and a half. Oh, got delayed to January? Uh, no, December. January. Ja- yeah, okay, yeah, January for us. <laughs> right. And, and you know what, that's, that's fine. I was kind of looking forward to it being like the last game I'll actually get to play <laughs> but this year, but uh, it'll be a nice January game to play once everything has calmed down. Yeah, I really like those developers. I've been looking forward to this game, and I can't wait to play it. Yeah, um... It is, It is. you know, it's another one of those instances where a game that has been delayed for, like, over a decade is getting delayed again. The same thing happened for Duke Nukem Forever, where it got delayed, like, a month when it was about to come out and continue this ongoing thing. I mean, this game is never going to come out, so hopefully The Last Guardian will finally be coming out in December. December seems like a very fitting month for a game like that. Uh, Bloodstain got delayed till 2018. Yeah, I know. They hired a bunch more devs, too. So okay. he, they, they said, hold on. I didn't know that was even supposed to come out this year. That seemed kind of soon. Usually Kickstarter games take years to come out. That was supposed to come out next year. Oh my God, I'm retarded. Yeah, 2018 is two years from now. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I hate me. I hate myself. I hate myself so fucking much. Here, let me just open up God my email and I'll read you what they say. So it was supposed to come out next year originally. We've got an important development update from Ega this week, and we wanted to make sure the backers were the first to hear it. In short, to ensure the game meets his quality standards, Ega is bringing on additional developers and has moved his estimate for the game release back to the first half of 2018. Here's more information directly from Ega. Quote, the last thing I want to do is keep our backers waiting, but after receiving such incredible support, I feel responsible for delivering the best product I possibly can. Again, I offer my sincerest apologies. I think the key difference here between this and Mighty Number no. 9 is he's saying he's delaying the game and hiring on more developers instead of saying that he's delaying the game and also releasing other games as well as a movie. Or whatever the fuck else Mighty Number no. 9 did. Didn't Record just come out too? Yes, uh, I want to talk about that, but before that, I'll mention, uh, do you know how much Mighty Number no. 9 costs on the Wii U right now? A negative $10. 
nine dollars overpriced clearance stores are trying to get that shit out of there off their shelves they don't want it and to go on uh record just came out and i was hoping that would do well and look good and review well generally because if it did i would actually be able to buy a game for this xbox i have owned and have not bought a game for in like a year unfortunately the reviews did not meet my standard and when i looked at the game it just kind of looked very bland uh there are aspects about it that looked very interesting to me but it kind of just looks like a very generic open world game with fast travel and all that shit and you climb shit and go to nav markers the combat looks cool. It looks very Metroid Prime-esque. I'm sure the puzzles were probably okay, but yeah, just watching it. I, I also heard that the Xbox One version runs like crap. Both versions are pretty buggy, but I hear the Xbox One is quite a bit worse, yes. That is really disappointing. And I've heard that there's like things in the HUD that kind of imply like, I think it was like a sixth robot or oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it was a fifth robot silhouette that was just blacked out, I guess, that was that they've confirmed is going to be DLC. It's like, why even have that in the game? Why make people think that they can get it? And yeah, just, I, uh, I don't think it's going to be paid DLC, but it's like evidence that the game was not finished and they put it out. So it's kind of another mighty number nine situation. Uh, it's safe to say Infudi's reputation is kind of dead. Yeah, and I've read a lot of things coming out that people are saying that Infune didn't really do all the things that you, he makes you think he did. He was just a character designer. He drew robots. He didn't actually have much to do with the original Mega Man. Later on, he was just, in, you know, the producer. So he was never really a game dev for that oh, yeah. shit. And he just kind of pumped up his own... To directly quote Hideki Kamiya, the maker of, uh, you know, Bayonetta Kami, someone asked for his opinion on... Infune and his response is that he's a businessman, not a game developer. Yeah. Yeah, he was right. I'm starting to understand why Japan extradited Infune and then Infune fooled the entire West into funding him through nostalgia. And -hmm. I don't think people are going to forget it. His name. No, he, along with Sean Murray, I think this might, hopefully people are smart enough to let this be the end of their, you know, careers. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder what's going to happen to concept. Because it was kind of striking that they got this partnership with Microsoft to put out ReCore. And I thought, you know, it's good for Microsoft to get a first-party developer or making first-party games for them, but we'll just see what comes of them in the future. Maybe if Infune steps down and someone competent takes his place, then Concept could go on to make good games. I do believe they're also making another game called, like, Red Ash or something. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I I wonder, I don't even know, who knows if that will come out. But from my understanding, too, it's like, even before the whole Ega thing, like, Concept's never done anything good ever. Well, Mega Man 2 was better than the first one, wasn't it? Maybe My Number 9 2 will be a masterpiece. Yeah, but, but they're not going to be able to get kickstarted for it, though. I'm being very overly optimistic for no reason right now. I like whenever I try to be optimistic, it sounds like I'm joking. It's because I kind of am. I was trying to look up what they, what Concept has developed. Well, the, the three we just talked about are the only ones I know of. Soul Sacrifice and Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z. Wow, I haven't heard of these games. Okay. And then Red Ash, the Incredible, you know. What is Red Ash? Uh, It's supposed to be like um, Mega Man Legends, if I remember right. Like a kind of 3D dungeon explorer game. okay. That'll probably turn out great. Uh, And I think they announced that there's going to be buyable hats. Neat. Great that they were running all these Kickstarters before Mighty No. 9 was finished. And... That's probably that's probably why they did that. When Mighty Number no. Nine came out, they probably weren't going to be able to get anyone's money. <laughs> I'm sure they made their profit. They could just close shop and retire. I guess. <laughs> well, that might have been the plan all along. Yeah, that seems to be the plan for most indie devs now. It's sad. On a uh, side note, for my uh, one year marriage anniversary gift, my wife bought me 
this incredibly mind-blowingly good deal that was on Humble Bundle. Uh, the entire studio suite of Game Maker was on sale for like 15 bucks, and normally it's worth almost $1,900. Like RPG Maker and all that? No, it was just Game Maker Studio Pro or something, but all oh. these different modules, like the iOS and Android modules, each of those are worth like $200. It was all 15 bucks. So she bought one for me, and she bought one for herself just to see, you know, maybe... I'm not announcing my game dev career here. I'm saying I have this thing. I'll probably watch some tutorials and play around with it and make, like, a really shitty game where you're the main character, and then you kill yourself at the end. Yes. And and then I'll put it up on our website. And I figure, you know, I, I'm so bitter, and I talk so much shit about video games. It feels right for me to make a shitty game and put it out there for people to mock and make fun of that way. I don't try to, like, get the impression across I'm better than everybody. But what would be great is if I make a game I intend to be complete shit, and then it goes out, and then it gets loved by everybody, and it becomes, like, the new Undertale, and then people are making porn fan art of it and, like, going crazy. And I have to, like, move to a gated community to stop fanatic fans from getting into my home and, like, taking photos of my family and stuff. One could dream. I want to have creepy stalkers. I'll stalk you. Good. Good enough. Okay, you got to start it off with a pretentious quote. And if the game is going to be about me, I want this to be the quote. The only question in life is whether I should kill myself or kill those around me. Everything else <laughs> is just killing time. Oh, did you make that up? No, I can't. I can't find the source of the quote. That is I'm, I'm afraid to Google kill myself a little too much I, there might be like red flags like the police might show up at the door and like oh like you, like, like like you haven't been red flagged already that's true i'm, I'm positive i've been I, re- I really don't think the nsa appreciates on google showing up the only real question is should i kill myself or those around me that's not the best thing to have in your history. I, I don't think uh u.s border inspection really likes it when i try to import illegal hardware either so that's why i'm saying i've probably been red flagged because i've done that <laughs> I tried to import one of those flash carts for the 3DS homebrew, basically modding. I did that with the original DS, but I guess the Digital Millennium Act created all these new laws for importing goods, and the site I bought from did not mention that they were based in Canada, so they tried to send it across the border, and then U.S. Customs was like, what the fuck is this? And then they sent me a letter saying, hey, fucker, call us and tell us what the fuck this is. What the fuck are you doing? And then I called in and was like, uh... It's a video game device that allows me to, I don't remember what I said, but I very like explicitly stated I was using it for non-illegal purposes, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I was actually planning to fully use it for illegal purposes, but I wasn't going to tell them that. Are you still looking for something? Yeah, so I I found the first half of the quote. I just want to see if that was the full quote. Because this is super important, because I want this to be... If, I, if the game's going to be about me, I want this to be my pretentious quote at the start of the game. Okay. You know, the black screen with, like, a little bit of music, maybe some sound effects, and then that kind of, like, fades in. Okay, well, while you're doing that, I'll talk about how funny it is that the Apple iPhone 7 is bricking everywhere. It, oh, my... I, I hate... I hate... I hate... I hate Apple. I mean, I feel bad for the innocent people who buy Apple... Because it's just their thing and they don't think too hard on it. But uh, for all the snobs out there who are constantly trying to show off their fucking iPhones and pronouncing their being better than humanity because of this. I love the idea of their hardware just completely failing and costing them hundreds of dollars because Apple will not reimburse them. I know this for a fact because it happened to be once. I forget which podcast that was. That was probably episode 14. But yeah, yeah, I something like that. yeah it's oh Jesus Christ. I fucking hate. 
So I realized the other day that I had one of the old like steel apples with like the wheel and everything and the clicking, no touch screen. And I had that thing for fucking six years. And I got the fucking like the one with the touch screen. It lasted me like a year and a half before it bricked. And now they're fucking removing the audio jack and just like doing dumb shit. And I think I kind of miss Steve Jobs. Oh, well, Steve, yeah. Apple Steve Jobs. Was... I don't really care for Steve Jobs, but Steve Jobs is what kept Apple from being complete and total shit and making sure that they had at least had some decent products. Yeah. With him gone, they've pretty much gone 100% cult, and they're just here to cash in on the fact that people are so fucking dedicated to them that people can't realize that they're buying a product and not a way of life, that people want to define themselves by the things they own, and that makes them fucking retarded, and they don't realize that. That's how they're making money. It's like you said. Apple is not in the market of phones. Apple is in the market of morons. There's far less people who buy Androids or Windows phones that have that mentality, but there are some that get Androids and think they're better than everybody because they have an Android. And I just found it hilarious how Samsung, they changed the Galaxy, which at one point was, in my opinion, a decent phone. It was not my choice, and I didn't particularly like it for a lot of reasons, but I admire the fact that it had swappable batteries, it had upgradable memory, and it was it looked it was kind of flimsy and weak feeling, but it was built out of plastic to be somewhat durable and not be too overly expensive. But then uh, when they made, I think it was the Galaxy S6 or something, they made them out of metal and removed the replaceable batteries and removed the upgradable memory and charged the fuck out of them. So they basically just made them into iPhones with Android on them. And anyone who bought those who tries to brag about having Android is way dumber than anyone who buys from Apple and thinks that they're cool because of it. Yeah, this whole thing on the internet has kind of made me realize that for some reason people really like to define who they are as people by their phones. That's pretty sad. It's because I see some people being like, I got this phone and come to Team Android. It's like, actually, Windows is better. And it's like, fuck you. And Apple's still good despite not having the audio. That that kind of mentality fully makes sense for children because children are children and don't have fully developed brains. But on top of that, children get whatever their parents give them and they have to make the best of whatever they get. So they try to, in their minds, you know, make it seem like the best thing ever and convince everyone else it is so they don't feel alone. But when you're an adult and you buy a shitty phone and tell everyone it's the best thing ever and then it fucking stops working on you and then you go out and buy another one and continue to defend it, you're a fucking idiot and a detriment to society. <laughs> right. The only time this mentality is appropriate is in sports. And even then, as long as you don't act like a fucking douche about it. But sadly, everybody has this mentality when it comes to fucking everything all they can see it is as it's my team versus their team this is another little mini rant that'll probably just make me sound like a gremlin but i just find it funny how there are far more radical sports fans who go out and riot and burn cars and shit than there are people who like play video games or anything like that like sports seems to be like one of the most riot inducing hobbies out there when it comes to fans and fandom and tribalism and all that yet no one really bats an eye at it but then when someone goes out and fucking shoots up a school or something. It's always violent video games or something of that. <laughs> Same case for movies. No one cares about violent movies, but they seem to care about sexuality in movies. It's kind of ridiculous. I got that fucking annoys the shit out of me, but yeah. And same with video games. I kind of had a personal revelation yesterday while thinking to myself that I kind of have this disdain for mob mentalities. Right. And- I always, I always seem to shy away from anything that has too large of a following. Cause I just don't want to be a part of it. And that's what I think a lot of people call it being a hipster, but I don't make a big deal out of it. I just try not to. No, I agree with you. I mean, there's certain things that if I don't like the fandom surrounding them, like Game of Thrones or Doctor Who, like you can be the best thing on the fucking planet, but I don't want to get into it just because it's too big. You know, in the future, people are going to define 
who their children can hang out with based off what phone they have. Oh no, he has an Android. This is an Apple family. I will not let you bring that kind of trash around here. Racism was pretty much gone in the future of Deus Ex, but what they had was prejudice based on augmentation and just that. So maybe, you know, racism and all that will be gone in like 50 years, but yes, everyone will just be obsessive over what technology you own. Which corporation's dick you're sucking. And at that point, we won't need government anymore. We can just sign up for... Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine going to a party and being like, oh, I got the newest Apple. Oh, me too. I love the Apple. And then somebody come up and being like, oh, I actually work for Apple. And they'd be like, oh, God, you're the best. Oh, let me touch your skin. Oh, you're so perfect. Oh, I'm sure that already happens. Uh, the sad part is you're probably now, right. Now, the case of someone from like Google going into like uh, being like lured into an Apple party without knowing what it is, and then just the door getting locked behind them, and then... <laughs> M- Mike, we lied to you. This is an intervention. No, it's not for your drinking. It's for the fact that you have a Windows phone. And they just knock him out and take him into a basement. And <laughs> then they turn him into like a sleeper cell and then he go back to Google and just sabotage the whole thing or start putting like Apple advertisements all over like Google's AdSense. I don't know if you've seen this, but I just got this update on my phone that's saying Google's AdSense is uh, now like, you can now opt in to basically go Windows 10 mode with all of Google's applications where they will give you ads based on your user preferences and search results and Holy shit. I turned that off, but it's like, I don't, they're still collecting data on me. And fuck me. We're so fucked. We're all so fucked as a human race. Yay. Oh, even more fucked up than that. I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was another podcast. Apparently Microsoft, I don't know when this was, how recent ago it was, but you obviously know about that AI they put out, Tay, that got fucking sabotaged by everyone on Twitter and turned into a neo-Nazi. And that was a very, very clear demonstration of why AI is not something to be taken lightly microsoft came out and said oh no ai is totally safe ai will be fine we've got it under control there's no worry she she became a slutty neo-nazi incest father fucker in like a day (laughs) which honestly is pretty good but it's fucking beautiful that's a good thing it's fucking beautiful but the point of that was to get the message to microsoft across like what they're fucking with and Microsoft just came out and said, oh, no, it'll be fine anyway. We've got it under control. Well, meanwhile, Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking both came out and said, no, AI is something very dangerous that we need to be careful with. It could lead the human race to oblivion someday when it wakes up and decides that we are no longer needed in its programming. And here's Microsoft saying, no, it's okay. We got it. It's fine. It'll be under control. We got it. It's fully regulated and blah, blah, blah. It's a... Microsoft's going to be the end of us all. Yep. I mean, if it's any evidence of, like, you know, the performance with the Xbox and how clueless they are about their fucking user base, when it comes to handling things like artificial intelligence, I really don't have a lot of faith in them. I don't have a faith in anybody doing artificial intelligence, right? Uh, yeah, you know, just these giant mega corporations that got big off of some entrepreneur before them. They have no idea what the fuck they're doing, and they're just building shit for the sake of building shit. It's like an arms race, except it's a race to the end of all creation it's going to be the end of the humanity and we're just going to create a new species more or less and that's going to take our place because they're going to be better than us in every way so we will become synthetics yes yeah either the best case scenario is that they will see us like pets and we'll become domesticated the more likely scenario is we'll be seen as unneeded and discarded i don't remember who it was i think it was stephen hawking himself who basically said like the fear about ais that should be had is that all AI has to do is just determine that we are no longer needed in its programming and then <laughs> we're gone. We're done. Humanity is seen as like a detriment to its survival. You know, basically every fucking fictitious science fiction movie that has come out before has already predicted it. Despite that, it's still going to happen. We're going to fucking annihilate ourselves. Microsoft is going to annihilate all of us. It, it is kind of a very uh, interesting thought experiment, though, the idea that we will be our own undoing, but in the process of 
doing so will create a new species that will be better than us in every way. Something that's truly capable of like traveling to different solar systems and surviving on far more hostile environments than we are. Something that can actually, you know, go out and propagate the galaxy. It makes anime real. Yeah. <laughs> can you just imagine what, what? The, like the AI would look like? Because like they're designed by us, so it's like all these like super like ripped dudes with like giant like twelve packs, huge packs, super big muscles, and all the chicks are like you know, huge hips, tiny waist, big tits, like cat girl ears. Just it, you know what would have been a better end to the game, Soma. Hmm. It, you know how you go into the arc and you just kind of see like it off in the distance, and it was kind of a cool ending. But what if you go in there and it just turns into like two D anime? And you're just surrounded by cat girls. They, they and, go, they go in there, and it's like the opening episode to Girl on the Lock On. Oh, that would have been amazing. And I just realized it too. Both the main characters are named Simon. Well, they pronounce oh, it Simone, but oh my god, that makes it perfect. Then, all right, good to know. Oh, crazy. We do come up with good things on this podcast. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll just move on. I'll just throw some more stories out. EA announced they're doing this new worldwide branding thing where it was very vague in general. I don't... They're bringing in a bunch of new people, and it just sounds like they're expanding as a company and getting bigger and going to be doing more. The one thing that kind of stood out to me in this was they mentioned that they're going to be making new IPs. What? That's interesting. And now, naturally, your optimistic part of your brain is thinking, oh, they're going to make good single-player games. No, what I'm thinking is they're going to make new uh, Overwatch clones. Yeah, it's going, there's going to be a new Legends clones. shooter. They're going to try to cover their bases with every single possible popular thing online right now and just try to make one of those. Because they already have the straight-up team-based shooter. Now they just need a class-based shooter, and then they also need like a MOBA-style shooter, and then an asymmetrical shooter. Yep. EA is so fucking weird to me because they do occasionally do really good stuff. So every time they release, they release a statement like this, I get a little bit hopeful. They're like such a fucking roulette. They're a huge gamble. They made Dead Space. Dead Space is one of the better games that I've played recently. I mean, I, I've played recently. It's an older game, but still. It, it's just, and it's weird to think that that came from EA. It, yeah, EA is just a fucking weird company. It's like they make things that we want to be good. And then they fuck they're, it. And they're such a giant company, they got to make so much money off of it that, yeah, they just make it as money-grubbing as possible. Like Star Wars Battlefront, like, that's a game I wanted, but they just didn't make the game I wanted. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I only got one more big story. Cool beans. Oh, actually, before that little story, the GameCube is 15 years old now. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like the Never GameCube. I noticed how the GameCube in its day was shit on a lot and seemed like it was not as good as its competitors, but in hindsight, the GameCube had so many good exclusives on it. The GameCube did not have great third-party support in its later life cycle, and it didn't have online games unlike the PS2 and Xbox, but had Luigi's Mansion and the Rogue Squadron games and Mario Sunshine, Animal Crossing. Wind Waker. F-Zero, the Metroid Prime games. Yeah, Wind Waker. The GameCube was a goldmine for exclusives. Confession. Yeah. I have played every single Zelda game, except the multiplayer ones and Wind Waker. Damn. And I hear a lot of people say that Wind Waker is really good, like their favorite one. And they heard that in the HD remake, they fixed up Wind Waker a little bit, specifically at the end of the game where they took out a bullshit mandatory quest. And it almost makes me want to get a Wii U just for the (laughs) Wind Waker HD. Yeah, um, Wind Waker... It could definitely be argued as the best. It's not my personal favorite, but I would say that it is the most innovative Nintendo ever got with the Zelda license, as in it's the furthest they ever went to making it feel like an adventure. Like, a lot of people hated the sailing, that Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of 
filler and you're just getting from point A to B, but I loved the sailing. It felt so good. It You felt like you were actually in this big, massive world, sailing from island to island, looking for treasure. These random things would happen. You'd run into pirate ships. This only happened to me once in the entire time I played the game, but it always scared the fuck out of me that this could happen. There's like six different locations or random chances that a giant Cthulhu-like tentacle monster will come out of the sea and attack you. And that would only happen when the sky turns black and you'd be like in this giant thunderstorm. And that happened to me once. And I, well, by that point, I was prepared for it. But every time I played that game, it always scared me. I'm like, oh God, what if that thing attacks me? That thing thing sounds scary as shit. And it was just cool. Things like that were awesome. The visual design was amazing. It just, it had so much originality for it. Wind Waker was such a fucking original game. Yeah, that actually kind of makes me want to play it more because I was always kind of my complaint with the 3D games is I never felt like they had that... Like, they still felt like an adventure. I just I felt like the 2D games did it more. Yeah. Because my, my number one favorite 2D is A Link to the Past, but my second favorite is a little bit more surprising in that it's Link's Awakening. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, I a, like, lot of, not uh, a lot of people really like Link's Awakening. You know, uh, it's like, why isn't it Ocarina of Time? It's like, I really do like Ocarina of Time. It's just, I just prefer the 2D Zeldas. I like Link's Awakening, too. Well, I think everybody likes it, but not many people are going to say it's their second favorite. It's been so long since I played it, I can't really say. But yeah, I never, knew, I, like I, never, I never knew it would have fit it in with all the other Zeldas. I, I like it because I think it's just like at its, it's the most, it's the most distilled essence of what a Zelda game is. It is like just so basic and yeah. just doing what a Zelda game is supposed to do. Yeah. And I really like it for doing that. And being on a Game Boy, it had to be. And yeah, exactly. I, and I think, and it's weird because like with, like Game Boy and Super Nintendo, it's like they kind of forced game makers to make better games in a way because they were so limiting. And now it's something you don't see anymore. I mean, it's funny you say that. I was playing the original Legend of Zelda last week. I also played the original Metroid. Um, I just kind of had this desire to go and play some old NES games and renew my appreciation for them. It's like infeasible to play those games in this era now without a guide because they just they would be so time consuming. Of just You'd be wandering around in circles going nowhere for so much of that time. It was only possible to do that back in like the 80s when you had all that time to spare and nothing else to do. But I still appreciate the fuck out of how much freedom those games would give you to explore. Metroid 1 was awesome. It was like a platformer more than Super Metroid, which was kind of cool, but also weird. Also, I noticed by playing the original Metroid and Zelda, I could see how there were very obvious objective technical improvements when they moved to the 16-bit era and were allowed to make those styles of game not only more streamlined, but also more complicated in other ways that made it more engaging. And that's something that gets lost from generation to generation of games now is now it's all just about hardware that doesn't mean anything because game designers aren't using anything with it. They're not innovating in any way. And I think Nintendo currently is using the wrong kinds of hardware to innovate their games. They're not making gameplay better with their hardware. Yeah, it's... uh, When you can just add on every system that you want to add, you don't have to worry about making the game too big. I totally lost where I was going... Video games suck dick now. That's where you were going. Yeah. All right. Okay. Final story. This one's kind of a personal one to me. You are aware of a publisher developer called Interplay. Uh, yes. You probably know them for Fallout. What other games do you know them for? Uh, Fallout. Okay. <laughs> they also made Earthward Jim. That's probably their oh, most. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. They are, they're probably most recognizable for that. Uh, they made the Descent games as well as Free Space, which was Descent Free Space, and then Free Space 2, which is to a lot of people, regard to be the last final great space sim. Which yeah, and, like, they've been, and they've been making the Wasteland games, which have been coming out 
recently. Oh, they have? Yeah. I did not know that. Well, they also made Carmageddon. They published Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, which they had Bioware develop for them. They put out a virtual pool game and a Casper game on the PlayStation 1, which I both owned and I did not realize they made it until I was reading this. They have not done anything for like the last decade and a half because their company has been in so much shit and has been so close to bankruptcy. I thought they already went bankrupt and they went under as a developer, but they actually have been around. They stopped making big games around like 2001. And then they just recently put out some like HD iOS ports of Earthworm Jim on the iPhone in like 2010. And they made some other mobile game around that era. They put out a couple games around that. And then for the last five years, they've been doing jack shit. And now they have officially gone bankrupt and they're going under and auctioning off the rest of their games. Oh, wow. So they've already gotten rid of Wasteland. I know that. So that means like Earthworm Jim... Well, they auctioned off Fallout, obviously, and Descent, and like this was ha- this happened like a decade and a half ago, back when they kind of just stopped making games, and they were sort of liquidating as a company and just selling off all their big IPs, mm-hmm. and now it seems like everything else they have is going. But to me, I never realized how significant this publisher-developer was until I actually looked at the list. They made some of the best Star Trek games in the 1990s. One of them was Star Trek 25th Anniversary, which is my earliest memory of playing an actual video game ever in 1992. They also put out a sequel, Star Trek Judgment Rights. They also made Starfleet Academy in 1997, which was a game I kind of have a humorous memory of. I remember my dad just came home with it one day, and he showed me the box and was showing me all these screenshots, and he was hyped as shit. My dad didn't really play video games, so I don't even know where he heard about this. But he was talking this game up and how incredible it was going to be. And, and I'm guessing the reason Interplay made it was to compete with LucasArts, who was making X-Wing. They were like, oh, you're going to make a Star Wars space sim? Well, we're going to make a Star Trek space sim. We're going to put full motion video in it and cast William Shatner and George Sakai and Walter Cohen in it. And we're going to make it awesome. And since it's based on Star Trek, it's going to be more than a space sim. You're going to be able to fly to planets and launch probes and scan shit and do humanitarian missions and all this other crap. And... Uh, I remember firing the game up and it had a full motion video intro with William Shatner and all this crazy shit. And it was like mind blowing to me as a child. And then I actually played the game and was like, wow, this is a really shitty game. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I guess it was probably my earliest memory of seeing an overhyped game because the gameplay was so shitty and boring. You go somewhere and you push one key to scan or launch a probe. Then you get attacked, and then you dogfight them like a fucking World War II fighter craft. It just didn't feel like Star Trek at all. And funny enough, there was a Super Nintendo port of this game, and I don't know what Interplay had to do with it. I think it might have just been made by a totally different publisher developer, but I remember getting the Super Nintendo port thinking, oh, this is going to be a piece of shit. That PC game was such a piece of shit. Why would you make this on a 16-bit engine? That game is an unsung masterpiece for the Super Nintendo. What's it called? Starfleet Academy. It had a similar graphics engine that Star Fox used, like, you know, full polygonal 3D. And it was fun as shit. It was, like, super simple, but it also made you feel like a starship captain. And there was also kind of, like, this visual novel element where you were, like, an actual character and you were, like, talking with your crew in between missions. And you were, like, going to briefings and kind of learning about the lore of uh, Star Trek and stuff. And then you go into these missions and... It was on a fucking 16-bit console with a Super Nintendo controller, but it was a really fucking fully functional, adequate space sim. And as you would go through the missions, you'd get bigger ships and get promoted, and then, man, it was so much fun. And I thought that was kind of funny, that, like, this big, bad, intimidating PC port that was meant to, like, crush the competition. That game was also in development for, like, five years. It was, like, in development hell. And back in the 90s, five years was a really fucking long time for a game to be in development. And then it came out and just kind of... Yeah. And then they later made up for that when they put out Klingon Academy, which was apparently a really good game, but I never played it. 
They also made Starfleet Command, which is like the best go-to example for how to make a Star Trek strategy combat game. I love the shit out of that on PC. They made a sequel to that in 2001, Starfleet Command 2 and its expansion, Orion Pirates. And that was the last game they ever made for Star Trek. In fact, I think that might have actually been their last game, like big game they ever made. Because 2001 was the year they kind of stopped. They made Free Space 2 like right before that. And that was the end of it. Oh, and how can I forget? They also made Star Trek Two Worlds, which was a StarCraft clone, and that was really terrible, and that was probably why they... That probably contributed to their bankruptcy. But the point-and-click adventure games, Starfleet Command series, Interplay is close to my heart because of that. They are so rooted to my childhood and nostalgia and kind of made me sad that that was an era where Star Trek games were being frequently made, and there were a lot more of them were good than people gave credit for, and Interplay was a big reason for that, and now they're gone. Something, something, something. Time moves forward. Something. Thank you for your insightful, I'm glad emotional, I could be here. I'm glad I could be gripping here response to that. Okay. Well, I do believe many of Interplay's developers moved on to Obsidian, and that's where they were making Fallout New Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it'd be cool if Obsidian got some of these licenses, but the thought is, like, who's going to acquire them all? They don't have a lot left. They have, like, Earthworm Jim and Clay Fighters. Right. Yeah, Clay Fighters. That was another one I forgot of mentioning. It's kind of interesting. When I opened up the Wikipedia article that showed all the games they made, you don't even realize how many of their games you have played until you look at this list. Holy shit, they made Mario Teaches Typing, Mario's Game Gallery. They made the two PC games. Hmm. Licensed by Nintendo. That is crazy. There you go. Every time I fucking look back at this list, I find something new that I didn't realize that they made. Huh. They made Rock and Roll Racing. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No, they didn't. They published it. Yes, they did. That's what I meant. They're a publisher developer. They did not develop all their games. The, uh, Rock they, and Roll Racing and Lost Vikings were made by Blizzard. Yeah, I know. They were published by Interplay. Interplay funded yep. them to make them. And then they made Rock and Roll Racing 2 Red Asphalt for the PS1. I didn't know that Rock and Roll Racing had a sequel. Neither it did I. Probably wasn't that good. I don't know. Well, they made Wasteland in nineteen. Yeah, they made Wasteland. And then Wasteland Nin- 2 is made by somebody else. Okay, yeah, Wasteland 1988. All right, yeah. Eh. Anyway, I gotta get ready to go. So, uh, all right, fine. Wait, here? To, wait, to, wait to just suck all the emotion out of this. No problem. Fiftieth episode that I was trying to uh-huh. set up. Yeah, sure. That's okay. cool. Your yeah. contributions to this podcast. Yeah, I know. I like yeah. your your yeah. feelings are totally valid. Okay. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not right. trying to mitigate you. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, if you like this podcast, yeah, I think you you want you want to give a closing statement real quick about the whole year or anything. Go fuck yourself. Poignant, and I appreciate that. If you've listened to this podcast or any of our podcasts, sincerely, thank you. Hey, Ryan, where can they find us? You can subscribe, stream, or download our podcast via the RSS feed on explosionofhappiness.com, or you can also find our podcast on iTunes, our streamer content on YouTube, under the channel Explosion of Happiness. Yeah, well, I mean, that is if we're still around in a year. Fuck yeah! secret even if our website goes down and our youtube goes down and itunes pulls us we're still up on the internet somewhere but i'll leave that to you to find out you can probably figure it out if you're smart and you go to our website and see where i'm hosting the files i was never gonna tell anyone that because in case our podcast was really shitty i didn't want people to know where we were immortalized so that they could forever go yeah. back and listen to our yeah. shitty episodes and mock us it's but fine. now now Ryan, they know Ryan now the information's out there in the Ryan. open our dirty little secret shitty Nobody podcast cares. that's going to get us fired from every job we ever work in the future is going to be out there. That's probably true. 
everybody cares once someone digs us up. No, you're right. Nobody cares. No one cares about anything that is more than five minutes old on the internet. If you're listening to this podcast, thank you for caring. Yeah. I don't know why you do. Thanks, Nate. I, I, I care about you. Until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. We need a question. I don't know what to say. Hey, Andrew, you want to stop bushing that fucking bag around or whatever the fuck it is? It's driving me fucking crazy. Uh, What are you talking about? Sorry, I'm hungry, and I'm taking this opportunity to chew on something. Thank thank you for making this 50th episode as great as it could be. No problem. There. It's done. I, I, I want to say, Ryan, you know, I not to this opportunity, so I'm a, I like doing this with you. Um, and like, this is a fun little thing for me, and um, I appreciate that. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you make me so depressed. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Yes. <laughs> yes, Andrew. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm kind of jealous of the dog. I know she's old and she's going to die soon. But all she does is lay around and sleep for like 18 hours a day. It's not going to be a big change from how she's currently living, honestly. Yeah, if we could figure out a way to just like preserve her so her body doesn't decay, maybe yeah. lighten her a little bit so she's easier to carry around, uh, it'd be pretty much the exact same. You know, what I think about when you get old and you can't do anything except sit around all day, death probably doesn't seem like a big deal at that point. Cause it's right. like, I'm already not doing anything. I already one. sleep 18 hours a day, and death is just sleeping 24 hours a day every day for the rest of your existence. Can you hear the dog? No. That is fucking... That is fucking... She's like... Here, let me... I'm going to move the mic real quick. Okay. That's yeah, that's super it, fucking loud. It sounds like a. She weighs thirty pounds and she Jesus. snores that loud. God, that fucking mic ear rape. Yeah, she sounds like a fucking demonic possession in action. <laughs> At least that's what it sounds like over the mic. You'll get to hear it yourself, or maybe you won't because of your new MP3 player. Yay! Yay! I haven't listened to like the last four episodes. I'd say just talking them by uh, a smartphone, but honestly, when once you do that, you'll have to get a new smartphone every two years. So yeah. But if it makes you feel better, there's so many conveniences that come with it. It's kind of worth it. But then you always feel dirty because Google, if you get an Android, at least Google is tracking your every move. Hey, it's our kids' generation. I'll probably have to deal with that. So why don't we just be like every parental generation before us and just say, fuck our kids.